Good morning. My name is Adrian Christian. I am the evangelism and discipleship pastor here at Trinity, and I'm grateful to be able to share with you what the Lord has put on my heart this morning. Um, I'm going to begin with prayer and then continue from there. Holy Spirit, come. I ask God that you would speak through me this morning. God, and I'm so aware that you know every single person in this room. You know exactly where they are. And my prayer is that you would meet them in that place. Soften hearts and open ears this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As Brad mentioned, um, we are in the Lenten season, and actually this Sunday is the fifth Sunday of Lent. We are almost there, but not quite. This season began with us being marked on our foreheads with ash, and someone looking at us, in our eyes and saying to us, remember, you are dust, and to dust you will return. On that day and during this season, we are both humbled before God, and we are reminded that we indeed are mortal beings. We're invited to reflect on how we are living our lives. We're invited to fast from things that maybe we become too dependent on, that are taking us away from God. And we also remember on our feast days as Christians that we have hope because we are a people marked by the resurrection. I listened to a podcast recently that was put out by C4SO, which is our diocese, and they had a guest speaker. His name was Esau McCauley. He's not only a priest in, the C in a C4SO church, but he also happens to be black, and he's from the South. He did not grow up in a church that practiced these liturgical practices like Lent. And I could resonate with him, and I imagine many of you will be able to as well. Something that he said to me really resonated. Um, he talked about how during Lent, when we are marked... Uh, it made it just so much more real for him, his mortality, even though he'd grown up knowing that one day he would die. But having someone put those ashes on your forehead and say to you, remember, you are dust, and to dust you shall return, along with spending the next six weeks thinking about those places in our lives where we face death, physical death, Spiritual death, emotional death, relational death. It makes it so much more real. Like Macaulay, I am so attracted to and growing to really appreciate this invitation to embody our faith. I recognize that we don't just understand from hearing things. But sometimes participating in rituals, it really helps us to experience God in a deeper way. 
Today also marks the third Sunday that we're having a class here on the Psalms of Lament. And I encourage you, if you haven't had a chance to come, that you would come today. We will actually be talking about lamenting as a community. What we've talked about in previous weeks are individual Psalms of Lament, including penitential Psalms, which are Psalms that talk about sin. So someone is talking about their sin to God. Recognizing that sin and their guilt, asking for forgiveness, and believing that God will indeed forgive. We've also encouraged people to embody this rhythm by writing their own songs of lament. I've been doing it as well, and I can tell you that it's been healing for me. Today, the psalm that we read earlier, Psalm 130, we're going to talk about today, and it is a penitential psalm, a psalm where the speaker recognizes his own sin and laments to God. My hope to you all is that afterwards you would be engaged to write your own psalm. So we're going to read Psalm 130 again and then talk about it. Psalm 130 says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is great power to redeem. It is he who will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. This is the word of the Lord. As I've studied this psalm and other psalms of lament over the past three weeks, the encouragement that I've received is this. It's okay to cry out to the Lord while you wait. I imagine in a room this big that there are some of you who like to hike. I would say that I like to hike sometimes. I find the trek to be a little arduous. And often when we're hiking in a group, the people, they go too fast for me. I'm a slow-paced person. But when I do go hiking, one of my favorite things, other than enjoying the scenic view around me, is climbing and singing. Maybe you've done that in a group. It's a great way to pass the time. It's a great way to remember that you're not alone. And it's also a great way to stop thinking about the pain that you're in. This psalm is characterized as a song of ascents. You might notice in your Bibles what seems like a title at the beginning of this psalm. And I don't know about you, but when I see things like that in italics, I wonder, was that originally written in there? And it was. This is a song of ascents, like all of the psalms 
from 120 to 134. It's said to be a pilgrim song, 15 songs that were sung as people went up to Jerusalem three times a year on pilgrimage. Jerusalem, this place where God's temple was. So as you go through it, as we start talking about this, imagine it being sung as people were going up, up to Jerusalem, climbing and possibly in pain. It's also thought that this psalm was composed during a period of exile or maybe afterwards. The people of God had been removed from their home and their temple and their city had been destroyed. So this song would have been sung during an extremely low time when people were needing deeply for God to show up when they were feeling pain, and maybe they weren't feeling that God was so near. And I believe that there are four ways that the psalmist encourages us through this lament. The first one is that we can cry out to God in our grieving. We can sense the composer's desperateness in verses 1 and 2. He says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my voice, O God. There is this image when we hear that word depth, this image of someone drowning in deep waters, unable to help himself. I was reminded recently of my junior year in college. It was a hard year for me. During this year, I would wake up some mornings crying, and I would go to bed at night sobbing. I was struggling with depression, and there was, I couldn't find my way out. This image here of out of the depths I cry to you brings to mind the story of Jonah. Jonah, when he's been thrown into the depths of the sea because he goes away from God, <laughs> He describes a situation, the waters closed in over me, the deep surrounds me, weeds were trapped around my head. If you've been surfing, like I have one time, <laughs> in Costa Rica, it was fun but brutal. The waves, they whipped around me, and I was trying my hardest not to drown Maybe you can relate to a time in your life, maybe you're in one right now, when you felt a little bit over, in over your head, like Jonah or like this psalmist. Maybe it's because of a situation that you find yourself in due to sin. Maybe it's just because you live in a sinful world. Maybe it's like me when I was in college where I'm emotionally facing death. I just can't figure out a way out of the pit. Or maybe it's that you're facing disappointment, unmet expectations. I believe that the psalmist here invites us to cry out to God. It's interesting, something that we don't get in the English. He says, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, Yahweh, 
Yahweh here, it's the name that Israel gave to the Lord. The one true God I'm crying out to. The holy God, my personal God. You said you'd be present with me, God. And then he says, Lord, hear my voice. Adonai, hear my voice. My Lord, my master. There's a humbling that's happened. He realizes that he is servant and that the God he's crying out to is his Lord. The invitation here is that if this speaker can cry out to the one true God, his king, his master, so can we. Some of us might be hesitant to cry out to God. We think maybe he doesn't care. Or maybe he can't actually handle our cries. And yet we see Jesus, God's son, on the cross, say one of these psalms. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We have an invitation here that, yes, we can cry out to God in our pain. Where in your life might God be nudging you to cry out to him? Because of your sin? Because of your disappointment? Because of the emotional death that you're feeling? The second way that I believe the psalmist is encouraging us is found in verses 3 and 4. He tells us that we can be honest with ourselves and with God about our sin. We see that the psalmist here recognizes both his sinfulness and God's holiness. He says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you so that you may be revered. Scripture tells us a lot about sin, but three things that it tells us that I think are foundational is first, that sin entered into the world when the first human being disobeyed. That we are all infected with the sinful nature. And that the consequence of sin is death. And we experience that death every day. Whether it is physical death, we feel ourselves aging, losing our memories, as I've learned happens. Yeah. <laughs> We experience spiritual death, the tendency to want to go away from God or feeling far from him. We experience emotional brokenness and relational brokenness. Death is indeed a consequence of sin. In Genesis 3.10, when God comes looking for Adam, Adam tells God that he is afraid because he's naked and so he hid. Isn't it just like us that when we feel fear or when we feel vulnerable or caught in our sin, we want to hide behind metaphorical trees or turn our face from God and run? A couple of months ago, I had the opportunity to go away with the spiritual director and spend some extended time with her. And during our time together, we engaged in a practice called imaginative 
an imaginative exercise. And the result has been really healing for me. I walk away from that practice with this image of God and this image of me as a child, God down on his knees with his arms opened so wide to me. And this peace and this comfort that I felt as I went in to hug him. What I love about this psalm is that it highlights the fact that even though we are sinners and even though we are facing brokenness, and God is so holy that we can still go to his arms. It is in the depth of this writer's sin and his brokenness that the psalmist cries out to his father. And he asks that rhetorical question, if you kept a record of all our sins, who could stand in your presence? The answer is no one. And yet, God desires relationship with us. And he opens his arms wide and he welcomes us. His mercy is found in his forgiveness. That doesn't mean that there aren't consequences for our sins, but it does encourage us to not hide from him. He invites us to be honest with our sins, to take it seriously, and to recognize that God is a gracious God. Does sin make you hide from God? Forgetting that he has a desire to welcome us with open arms? Maybe it makes you want to just keep on sinning, thinking, well, God's going to forgive me anyway. The reality is that both of those are the opposite of true repentance. Repentance means turning away from sin and turning towards God. And the psalmist encourages us that there is forgiveness with God, and he will be honored through it. Uh, Macaulay, Esau Macaulay says that whether it's our first time repenting when we first turn to God or if we were repenting again, the goal of beginning again and beginning for the first time is the same. We are seeking communion with God. The good news of Jesus Christ is that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Through Jesus, our dead bones are raised to, do, to new life. We don't have to fear God. We can believe that he wants to heal us and to make us whole. What does it look like in this season for you to actually turn away from your sin and turn towards a forgiving God who has open arms for you? The third encouragement that I believe the psalmist offers us today is that we can expectantly wait on God to work. If you have been a child in, this, in the United States, or if you have children, you will understand what it means to wait expectantly. Each year during Advent, and especially on December 24th, there's this countdown of excitement that will happen. Because 
Everybody knows that on December 25th, a gift or some gifts are going to magically turn up under the tree. There's often this waiting, a painful longing for what we know is going to happen on the next day, the celebration of Jesus. I always found it interesting, since I love language, this verb in Spanish, esperar. Esperar has two meanings. It means to wait and it means to hope. And as I studied these two verses, I found it quite interesting because we see this alternation this of waiting and hoping. And when I looked up in the Hebrew, it's, this, it's two different verbs, and so we see it translated differently, but really their meanings are very close. The psalmist wants to get across the point that waiting and hoping, there's a connection there. A close connection. In fact, where we see hope is one verb and where we see wait is another. Both words, though, have the same connotation of sitting and expectation of God fulfilling his promise. In this case, it's the promise of forgiveness that his presence will return. And there's an intensity if we look at it. We see, I wait for the Lord. My soul, the deepest part of me, waits. And in his word, I hope. Again, I see this, I wait on the Lord. I wait on the great I am. I wait on Yahweh, the true God, my Father. The deepest part of me waits on Adonai, my master, my king. And we hear a hopefulness. I wait on God's word to come true. It's really interesting, this hoping in God's word, because it has a causal effect. It's almost like I cause myself to hope in God's word. Have you all ever felt that way before? You want to believe that God's word is true, and so you cause yourself to hope. Here I believe that the psalmist is hoping that God's word is true, that he is a forgiving God, that he keeps his promise, and that his presence will return. Where do you in your life need to cause yourself to believe that God's word is true, that he is the God of miracles, that he will breathe on your dead bones, that he will rise you from the dead? raise you from the dead. (laughs) In the Dominican, they have these men. They're called watchies. They are responsible for keeping watch over really important buildings or buildings that have important things inside of them. And I had the opportunity to know a few watchies. And often, late, late, late at night, you would see them trying to keep their eyes open for the morning. And I just imagine thinking about it, probably at about 4 a.m. was like the hardest, right? You know the morning is coming, that that sun is going to rise. You're waiting expectantly for it. And yet it's so hard. There's this longing here 
that we hear in the psalmist, he repeats his waiting is like a watchman waiting for the morning, like a watchman waiting for the morning. There's a desperateness. Where in your life do you feel that desperation in your waiting? Last two verses, verses 7 and 8, they're different. And I believe that the psalmist encourages us that we can encourage others to hope in the Lord in their waiting. He says, O Israel, hope in the Lord. There's so much power in his words because we've just read, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. And then by the end of this psalm, like in other psalms of lament, there is this hope. And he turns from himself to his people. He goes from complaining and asking God for help to encouraging others. It's as though this intimate conversation with God that's really honest has helped renew his strength to be able to give hope to the people around him. Some years ago, I was in the kitchen of a mentor, and I remember that I was complaining to her. I was lamenting because there was a relationship in my life that wasn't as it should be. My deepest desire was for reconciliation and wholeness. And yet my desires were unmet. I had spent years praying about it. What in the world could I do? And I remember that in that kitchen, in my complaint, I felt hopeless. And she listened to my pain. I believe that she held me right where I was. She didn't belittle it. But afterwards, she told me in a very gentle manner, she encouraged me to not lose hope in God and what he could do and in who he was. We need people to have hope for us sometimes. We struggle We need to be reminded of who God is, that he is the God of miracles, that he is the God who brings life where there is death. And here, this is what the psalmist is doing. He is reminding his community to remember God's hesed, his steadfast love. This is the same word that is used of God. The Lord showed his love towards Joseph when he was in prison in Egypt. It's the same word that's used when God is leading his people out of Egypt through the Red Sea. He showed loving kindness. God is gracious and he is compassionate. He is slow to anger and he is rich in love. And here the psalmist reminds his family that, the Israel, that they can have hope in God. And I want to remind you, too, that you can have hope in the midst of your pain and your sin and your brokenness. God is kind and he is loving and he offers you life. I want to encourage you to cry out to him. Be honest with him. Wait 
expectantly. And I believe that going through that process, you'll be able to encourage others. Some of you were here last week, and Jason and Chris stood here on this stage, and they talked about insight and transformation. How insight comes quickly, transformation takes a little longer. And as you try to bridge that gap from what you've heard today and actually being healed, I want to encourage you to embody the practice of writing a song of lament. Address God. Tell him your complaint. Ask him for help. And then reorient yourself to who he really is, the truth of his word. I've gotten to experience that. And my experience is that truly through the practice, it helps me experience him in a deeper way. Healing. It's healing. I have two questions for you, and we're going to spend some time reflecting. Are you being honest with yourself and with God about areas of sin or disappointment in your life? And how might God be nudging you to cry out to him like the psalmist in this season?